Good morning, everybody. Welcome to everybody in the room. Those of you that are watching online, we're glad that you're with us as well. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and we're glad that you decided to pull up a chair at the table of Christ the King this morning. I ran across a Harvard study from the early 2000s that actually shocked me. The study found that people who had bad health habits, smoking, poor eating habits, bad sleeping habits, no exercise, people who had bad health habits but had strong ties socially or community lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. Did you get that? People had bad health habits, but deep community actually equaled a longer life. This is how they summed up the study. They said it is better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. <laughs> and all God's people said, there it is, right? Now, before you misquote me, we all know that good health habits and good community are the best way to live, but don't miss the message. Harvard researcher Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone. He noted this. He said, if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying in the next year and a half. Just think about that. One of the points of this table series is that community, a place at the table, brings huge benefit to your life. I remember the first time I got to experience African community and Ethiopian food with some Coptic brothers and sisters. I loved that community of friends, and they have amazing food. They brought the injera to the table. It's this flatbread, well, along with this, the meat and the spices. The smells were absolutely amazing, and, and we prayed together, and then we, we all dug in. And if you know anything about Ethiopian culture, you actually eat with your hands. And, and so I reached in to grab some food, and my friend Amrit reached out and slapped my hand away. He smiled at me and then held up his right hand. Because in that culture, your left hand is actually considered unclean. And I got it. And we all started laughing together. And another brother at the table asked me, he goes, does it seem a little uncivilized to you to eat with your fingers? And I smiled and it was a little uncomfortable and they let me off the hook. He said, it's okay. We think it's uncivilized when you attack your food with weapons when it's already dead. <laughs> Good point. Today, Jesus is going to talk to us about table manners. Growing up, I grew up with specific table manners. Elbows off the table. No one eats until the hostess is seated. You don't talk with your mouth full. You request something to be passed with words like, would you please pass the salt? And you never brought a book to the table. Ever. And unlike today, phones weren't an issue because they were attached to cords and they wouldn't reach the table anyway. Remember? The reason we had those rules is because the table in my home was a place for connection and conversation with the actual people at the table. If you've never experienced that before, you should try it sometime. It's really cool. A recent article talked about the absence of table manners in the modern age. They actually went out on the street and did a poll and they found that they could only truly establish one table manner. And the manner was this. Whoever gets the most food wins. That's a sad commentary. Today we're going to focus on a set of biblical table manners. These are the table manners according to Jesus. Last week, Pastor Brian shared with us about a, a scandal that happened when Jesus shared a table with a tax collector. The religious Pharisees ridiculed Jesus because he had the audacity to eat with sinners. The response of Jesus in the story that we've already read this morning and are about to read again, I, I'm sure it was something like this. Okay, well then I'll share a table with you. 
And I'm sure he was thinking, because you are very religious, but in truth, you're just a different kind of sinner. Here comes the scripture from Luke 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Let's not miss it. Don't jump over it. Don't ignore it. Jesus is modeling how he wants life done. Do you see it? Jesus ate with people who were different than him. This has been a recurring theme throughout the series, and some of you are getting tired of it. And you're like, Grant and Brian, we get it. We get it. We get it. Here's the hard truth. We don't get it. According to another poll, among believers, only 11% said they had one significant relationship with someone who didn't share their faith. Do you know what that means? That means 90% of us in this room are living in a Christian bubble. Which means, like it or not, we tend to be very comfortable with groups of people who are just like us. And we tend to totally neglect that Jesus is calling us outside of our comfort zone so that he can do something through us. Honestly, truthfully, can I ask you a question? When was the last time you shared a meal with someone who was different than you? When was the last time you created a space to share a meal with someone with a different story, a diametrically opposed political view, with a different origin or values? When was the last time you did it on purpose because God called you to make space at his table? Jesus went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. Do you understand that? Even though Jesus had some of his greatest disputes with the Pharisees, he still connected with them, not to be one of them but to care for them, to show them what pure love looked like. So here comes the question, who is sitting at your table? Listen, look around, like, like, do they share everything in common with you or are they different? Do they share the same religious beliefs? Would it matter if they didn't? I love it when this room gets really awkwardly, uncomfortably quiet. Because here's the hard thing for all of us, right? Boy, we love to talk about this. Oh, absolutely. I've got the heart of Jesus. I want to reach out to everybody. When was the last time somebody different sat at your table based on your invitation? Jesus connected with people who were not like him, knowing they were watching him closely. Jesus was under constant observation. These people wanted to know what he would do in different situations, and they formed their opinions about Jesus and God based on what they saw. The word used for watching here literally means interested and sinister espionage. <laughs> this group of dinner guests, they wanted Jesus to fail. They wanted him to fail in the upcoming interaction, so there was some pressure, and that threat of pressure is what keeps us from pulling out a chair for somebody who's not like us. We're afraid that somehow the interaction is going to make us uncomfortable. So what do we do? Nothing. We stay in our bubble. Another question. What if uncomfortable was the appropriate way to feel because it reminds us in every single conversation we need to rely on Jesus for wisdom and knowledge. My friends, here's the thing we forget all the time. We don't have to do this on our own. Jesus never asked us to. He said every time you pull a chair out for somebody who may be different, when you welcome them into that space, the Holy Spirit is all over that reservation. I had the highest compliment paid to me the other day. I volunteer on a civic committee, and one of the members was moving on 
And truthfully, like we sit at the opposite end of every spectrum you can imagine. Like we, we are so different in every single way. And as we were leaving, she said, you know what, Grant? We are so different. <laughs> but I want you to know, one thing I've enjoyed about you is that you are so freakishly normal for a pastor. Thank you. I can only hope that the words that I've shared over the years, the convictions I held to, and the Jesus that she would see in me made a difference in her perception and the perception of his followers of Jesus too. So what's the conclusion? It's the way of Jesus to share tables in life with people who disagree with you. And can I tell you the blessing of doing life that way? Sharing that kind of table allows you to grow in all different kinds of ways. You get to grow in grace and patience and self-control and perspective and knowledge and courage when the time comes to graciously share what God is doing in your life. Scripture continues, and remember, it's a dinner party. The Bible says, there in front of him, meaning Jesus, was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of the body. The version that I read calls it dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. So one of the guests has a condition called dropsy. Medical condition, it's an abnormal accumulation of serous fluid in the tissues of the body. The word dropsy or abnormal swelling here comes from the Greek words water, face, and countenance because the disease often made the person look like their face was swollen. And Jesus doesn't pull away. He moves towards. And he heals him. He transforms the man's face, but even more importantly, he transforms his soul. I love the line because of how unassuming it is. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. No fanfare, no hype, just a miracle. Before dinner, an appetizer as Jesus is getting ready to serve the main course of truth. Jesus changed this man's countenance and his heart, and then he turns his attention to the people sitting at the table because he knows because it's a Sabbath day, they're all going, party foul. Party foul, not allowed to work. Healing is work. You're not allowed to work. So Jesus asks a question. If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, Will you not immediately pull him out or it out? Like, really? Your, your rules are going to get you so stuck? If one of your kids falls in a well, sorry, going to have to wait till Monday. <laughs> Verse 6, and they had nothing to say. Don't miss this either. It's just so practical. Jesus used strategic questions to open the door of understanding. So let me share something with you. When you are sharing Jesus, you get so much further with questions than you do with declarations. Declarations are important. We'll get there in just a second. But when you open the door with, hi, my name's Grant. You're a sinner and God hates sin. Which is actually a true statement, but it's not going to exactly open the door to further conversation. Agree? Let me share some questions and inquiries that have served me well. So when someone is sharing a different conclusion, a different view, a different belief, here's some questions you can use before a declaration just comes pouring out of your mouth. I love asking this question. Hey, what's your story? 
tell, tell me your story. And I usually follow that up with a question like, how, how did you end up coming to that conclusion? How, how did you come to that position? The reason I love that, asking that question is because, honestly, sometimes people go, I don't know. I heard it on the news. Some guy said it, and I believed it. I love this little inquiry. So help me understand. Just help me understand. This one's always really, really interesting. What are you really feeling right now? Because often there can be tension or, or, or awkwardness in a room. And when you ask somebody, so how are you feeling right now? If they have the courage to say you're uncomfortable, you can actually say, well, that's okay. I mean, I'm a little uncomfortable too, but could we actually keep talking? I love asking questions. Jesus loved to ask questions. And I don't know how you wrap up a conversation, but I love asking, how can I pray for you? You know what? Even the most cynical, adversarial, antagonistic people, when I've asked that question, will always kind of like, ooh. Now, how can I pray for you? That's uh, okay. My friends, these questions have the opposite spirit of this kind of a mentality. So why are you so stupid and misguided? Don't get me wrong, there's a time for declarations. I made a declaration with a group of people that I was meeting with last week. We're not on the same page in any area of life, but I've been building a relationship with them over a long period of time and in response to a conversation point. I said it out loud. I said, you're right, I am a Jesus follower. And I believe the Bible, all of it. Pregnant virgins, guys getting swallowed by fish. And in the end of the book, Jesus wins, all of it. Room got quiet, and I'll tell you what, that's okay. Declarations are important, but they're not the only option all the time. When God opens a door, questions keeps the door open. There's an old saying, seek first to understand before being understood. Jesus asks questions, he makes them think. I have a really good question who when he has to sell, tell me something really, really difficult that I need to hear, he'll always say, he always starts it with this. That's how I knew, no, I gotta get ready because he's coming for my soul, okay? But he'll always say this, Grant, can I submit something to you for your consideration? I can hear Jesus saying something like that. Now comes a teachable moment. The Bible says when he, being Jesus, noticed how guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited you, both of you, will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move on up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. That means everybody who, who thinks they're right 100% of the time and everybody else knows absolutely nothing, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is just so practical. Jesus is telling his people in your heart in every conversation Go and sit down in the lowest place. Let me be so clear. As Jesus followers, we should always choose humility. When we position ourselves arrogantly, 
like I've got it all figured out and everybody else just needs to get with my program. You've missed the point. It's not your program. It's Jesus. As Jesus followers, we should always choose humility. We position ourselves humbly and there's a warning if we do it any other way. Did you hear it? For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's just so true, right? When we seek to take honor for ourselves, God says you're always going to end up humbled. Now, the truth is this. We, we don't have the same cultural situation for wedding feasts today. I mean, we were at a wedding a couple of months ago, and we walked in, and it was a sign seating, right? Took all the mystery out of it. But I did notice as we walked in, you know, the bride's family was over here, and the groom's family was over here, and if you were just a friend of the family, you kind of sat back there. I'm not bitter, just saying, okay? We, we, we don't have like wedding feast etiquette in the same way, but in our culture, boy, can, can we admit that we certainly have the desire to grasp for position or status, don't we? We all like to position ourselves so other people will think that, that we're all good all the time, even when we're not. This is a warning that there's a subtle form of spiritual pride and it's very, very dangerous. And Jesus is telling us, always start from the place of humility. In everything, always start from the place of humility. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna get in trouble on purpose. In the coming weeks, leading up to November, you're gonna notice something again in this country. Everyone is going to think they're right. Are you uncomfortable? Good. Everyone's going to think they're right, and they're going to distance themselves from everyone else they think is wrong. It's predictable human behavior. Election years grieve me because of how I see believers act. We pull away from the very mission that Jesus called us to engage in. Jesus suggests another way. Humble yourself first. This is not about what you think. It's about how you share what you believe. And I believe you can hold both humility and conviction at the same time as long as you do it with kindness. If you are arrogant to the point when you come into every room thinking, everybody else is an idiot, and you're thinking, if they would just listen to me so I could straighten them out, then this country would be perfect. Can I tell you something? Your approach is not working. The I'm right, you're wrong approach is getting us nowhere. So what if we wanted to go a different direction in our conversations? What if we actually wanted to have the opportunity to say, this is what Jesus says. And I'm with Jesus. Unapologetically, I'm not going to back off or back down. I will make declarations when I need to, but I just want to, this is so important to me. Jesus stayed in the conversation. I believe he calls his kids to stay in the conversation too. So some of you are just saying, well, if I want to stay in that conversation, Grant, what do I do? I'm so glad that you asked. Notice the relationship to the host. And I challenge you, go back this afternoon, open up Luke 14, find out whether or not I'm lying to you or not. Notice the relationship to the host. 
God is the host. We are the humble guest. And the world will take notice when we care more about introducing everyone to the host that sits on the highest throne who we can come to and petition on behalf of leaders that are ultimately set in place with him. I mean, how much more do we need to understand? The very people that are diametrically opposed to you are the people Jesus called you to love and reach. What good does it do if you can never have a conversation with them? Some of you are like, Grant, did you, did you just say that we're supposed to petition and pray for leaders that are ultimately set in place by him? Yes, absolutely. And if you don't agree, you need to go read Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. The goal of every table should be to acknowledge that God sits at the head of all of them. Let me say that again. The goal of every table should be to acknowledge that Jesus sits at the head of all of them. One more piece. This is a call to expand your guest list. Listen to these closing words, verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends. Oh, that's interesting. Grant, did you read that right? Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. And some of you are like, what? I can't have a family dinner anymore? No. No. You can have a family dinner. Biblical community is beautiful. We want you to connect in community. We've been begging you to do that all fall. We're going to continue to do that because we know you'll live longer if you do. But Jesus is saying, that's where so many of us get stuck. And we never step out in faith beyond that circle. Let's just be honest. He says, don't invite those people, because if you do, they may invite you back, and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, when you spread a table, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus said it. Make room for people who don't know the host and you will be blessed because when they meet the host, everything changes. Through your invitation, your conversation, you may get to see them again, not only on the roads of Whatcom County, but on the streets of heaven. Do we understand that? This is about bringing as many people to the table as we possibly can. When I first started at Christ the King, I was a college pastor. Some of you remember that. I had an epic mullet. I used to lead worship. Some of you were with me. But I started as the college pastor. We went to Red Square Fair, and we invited Western students to the table of Christ the King to talk about Jesus. That's where I met David. David had a lot of questions. We began to meet regularly, and I did my best because the truth was David was philosophical, intellectual. He was very, very, very smart, way smarter than I was. And we sat at the same table for an extended period of time. To my knowledge, he never came to church once, not once. Invited him many, many times, but it's like, no, no, no. David thought I was crazy. He called God my sky fairy. So for a long time, 
we met and met and met and met and ate and ate and ate and ate. And after a long time, David finished up at school and disappeared and I lost track of him. Years later, years later, I got a picture in an envelope in my mailbox. I pulled it out and the picture was face down, so I looked at the back of it first. This is what was written on the back. I found the truth. Thanks for all the moments together. Flipped the picture over. There was a picture of David and his wife dedicating their daughter in a church in Nevada. Can I tell you something? Extending the table was so worth it. Because I may never ever again see David on the streets of Whatcom County, but I promise you, because of our personal relationship with Jesus, one day I'm going to bump into him on the streets of heaven. So here it comes, same appeal. Who can you invite into your life this week? Has God placed someone in your life that would sit down at the table with you if you would just have the courage to invite them? I get stuck at good intentions all the time. I know I'm not the only one, but can we move beyond good intentions and open the door to Jesus doing something incredible? I know you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to pray for courage and for humility and for connection in order to take that step of faith, but I want to leave this with you. Even though it's not Scripture, it embodies the heart of Jesus, and I think it applies to all of us. When you have more than enough, don't build a higher fence. Build a bigger table. When you have more than enough, don't build a higher fence. Build a bigger table. This is the part of the story that I think most of us miss. The heart of Jesus for the Pharisees was actually love. Here's what he wanted more than anything. Would you guys lay down your religious rules and have a relationship with the one who was sitting at a table with his hands outstretched who said to all of them and all of us, I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. So one last time. Invite them to the table. Use questions. Choose humility. Expand your guest list and never, ever, ever forget to ask, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Well, I don't know exactly how to pray for all of you, but I am going to pray for you right now. I'm going to pray that this message actually lasts beyond the front doors. That even this afternoon or this week, you'll take stock of your life and go, okay, okay, God, who, who, can, who can I bring to the table? Knowing that Jesus wants to be there with you. So 9.30, would you stand with me? We're going to pray together. When I found out that David had given his heart to Jesus, I, I remember thinking the first thought was, man, that's a miracle. It's a miracle. And God's given you access into people's lives that I can never, ever get to. He's chosen you and your table to be the place where they will find their way home if you're willing to invite them. I know it's intimidating. 
I know it's scary. We all deal with issues of rejection, but, but here's the deal. The God who's sponsoring all of the tables, he won't reject anybody. So would you pray with me this week? As we enter into the holiest moment, it's beautiful when the church is gathered, but it's even more beautiful when the church is scattered. So let's pray together right now. Father God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this example. Thank you for what Jesus did. Thank you that Jesus sat at tables that, that had awkward conversations at times. Thank you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you that Jesus sat at tables with people who were different than him. And Lord, thank you that Jesus welcomed us to the table. That's a miracle. And God, may we never forget the grace that, that covered us when we accepted the invitation and sat down for the first time. And God, would you give us the passion and the energy and God, the initiation to reach out to people who are far from you this week. God, this world needs you so bad. So God, I thank you that there's nothing in front of us except incredible potential. God, thank you that we have the Holy Spirit to go with us, to sit with us at every table we sit down at this week. And God, may it be a natural reflex for us to pull out a chair and say, would you join me? Would you join me? Would you join me? Would you join me? God, we want to see not just this room full. God, we want to see your table overcrowded in Whatcom County. So God, for every church that's preaching Jesus today, would you expand their table? God, we're tired of building higher fences. We want to expand the table in the name of Jesus. And God, we, we dare to even think that if an awakening would start in America, that it could actually start here that it could be done through hospitality, that it could be done with truth, that it could be done with conviction. God, help us to find our way to welcome everyone to the table, knowing that you will never reject them. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, give us the miracle of salvation over and over and over again because of this good work. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. <laughs>